Hello, you're listening to Send in the Experts with Georgina Durant. This podcast is all about teaching and supporting children and young people with special educational needs and disabilities, SCND. My name is Georgina Durant. I'm the host of this podcast brought to you by Twinkle SCND. As a former teacher in Senko myself, I wanted to create a platform to share some of the amazing things that my guests are doing to support learners with SCND. So whether you're listening on your commute, tuning in whilst walking your dog or curled up on the sofa with a nice cup of coffee, thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, I am delighted to be joined by Beth and Grant and Sarah Timms from ERIC, the Children's Bowel and Bladder Charity. Sarah has worked at ERIC for four years as Head of Family Services and Support for the past two and a half years. Sarah oversees the running of the helpline and finding other ways to support families, whether through webinars or video resources. Sarah has lots of experience of working with families thanks to her background in family support and safeguarding. Bethan Grant has worked at ERIC for eight years in various roles. She is currently Head of Digital and Engagement at ERIC, overseeing the communications team and helping to create and share information and resources for families and professionals. I feel very lucky to have both of you on. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you both? Thank you. Really good, thank you. Yes. Good. So for our listeners who might not have heard of ERIC, um, are you able to briefly explain what the charity does, who it supports and how you support them? Hello, Georgina. Yes. So Eric, the Children's Bowel and Bladder Charity, is a nationwide charity. We've been around for just over 30 years and Eric is an acronym. It stands for Education and Resources for Improving Childhood Continence, which is a bit of a mouthful, which is why we call ourselves Eric for short. Um, we were originally set up um, to support families whose children had bedwetting issues and we focused exclusively on that. But over time, We've broadened our remit and now support families whose children have, have toileting and bowel and bladder conditions across the spectrum. So we have, uh, you know, we're dealing with constipation, bedwetting, withholding, potty training, toilet training, toileting anxiety, everything that you can think to do with bladders and bowels and children. And we do this through our helpline, which is free to access uh, through telephone and email. Yeah. Uh, we uh, have our family services team, as as you've already said, Sarah um, hosts lots of webinars and online events and some face to face events sometimes for families um, to support them with various different topics. Um, and we have a website full of resources for families and for health professionals to help them when they're uh, working in clinic or in hospitals with with families that are referred to them. Um, and we also have a very strong online um, uh, uh, professionals training uh, program. So we we do train a lot of NHS professionals uh, to help uh, them improve the quality of care that children get with the support with continence issues. Wow, you do so much. That's, that's a lot. And the, so the phone number for, am I able to put the phone number in the show notes for people who are touring? And it's, it's just completely free for somebody thinking right now, I could just do with some advice. They'll be able to just ring that number and someone will pick up. Absolutely. And- yeah, and we are open. That helpline is open Monday to Thursdays, ten till two p.m. every day. Oh, it is busy. Yeah, it is busy. So please, if you don't get through the first time, do keep trying. Um, and like we said, there is a web form that you can complete to get email support yeah. if you can't get through on the phone. Brilliant. And some people do prefer the email support as well, don't they? Sometimes having a phone call, especially about something that's a little bit more delicate, perhaps they might prefer to have an email. That's fantastic. So if we think from an SCND point of view and what toileting problems can children have in general? And are there specific ones that are linked to children who might have special education needs and disabilities? For example, I think I read that some autistic children are more likely to have constipation. And I was interested in, in hearing a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So the most common um, toileting problem, it affects one in three children, is constipation. Right. Um, so this is what we deal with um, day in, day out um, on our helpline. Um, other problems include soiling, um, withholding wee, withholding poo, daytime wetting and bed wetting as well. Yeah. Um, but as, as I said, the most common one is uh, constipation. Um, typically very often happens around potty training time yeah um so in terms of children who've got special educational needs there are more challenges um because there might be barriers around communication so this is where you know we we might say that um they might not always recognize 
recognize the signals coming from their bowel and their bladder. Um, they might have anxiety as well as challenges when dealing with change. Yes. Um, so when you get to that toilet training aspect, you know, a different feel once the nappy's removed or the feel of pants, the sensation of wet clothes, all these yeah. different things, you know, and there's a whole there's an, oh, there's so much we could talk about with this. Um, there really is, isn't there? Because you, like you say, like the sensory issues of, of even a nappy, I imagine, for children who've got sensory processing differences, I imagine the nappy, then the change to wearing pants and all of that is going to be, yeah. could be a huge, huge problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, if this might be slightly too much information, but, but you know, most children get very used to the feeling of a poo pressed against them, the warm yeah. poo pressed against them with their nappy on. And so when you remove that, there's that fear of the poo falling away from them. So they might oh. try and hold their poo in um so we deal with things like that as well um another aspect of ch for children with um additional needs is that obviously you might get um a restricted diet you might have some yeah. children who have a restricted diet very limited that can have an impact on the bowels yeah um we know the best way to prevent constipation is to have a diet including plenty of vegetables fruit fiber drinking six to eight cups of water or water-based fluid a day this is us in a perfect world but you know we might have children that will only eat brown food or white you know there's so many limitations yeah. on there um so you know we do understand that this could present a real challenge so we wouldn't just go on the help plan and say well this is what you need to do because we understand not everyone can do that so it is the, the final thing really I would say with that is, is mobility. Um, being active helps to encourage the bowel to squeeze, to yes. move the poo along. If you have a child who has limited mobility or no mobility, then that bowel's not going to get that, you know, squeezing action as yeah. strongly. So again, constipation can occur there as well. So um, we talk about constipation all day long here because it's yes. so relevant. I can't believe when you said, was it one in three children? Yeah. I like, I that shocked me. I couldn't believe one in three children. Gosh, I, mean, really? I, I think parents and teachers will be reassured when you said that bit about um, that you understand that some children's diet, is, you know, it's all very well and good saying you need to be eating more fruit and stuff, but it, that oh, yeah. can be a challenge for a lot of families. So I think yeah. anyone who's thinking of ringing the number will be very reassured that you're not just going to say, oh yeah, just <laughs> eat more fruit because <laughs> no, I'm sure they'll no. have thought of that already and they'll have looked, they've done a bit of Googling and realised that... Yeah, that's that. What's that? What needs to be done? But we'll have that barrier of restrictive eating, perhaps, and thinking, well, that's not something we can do at the moment. Absolutely, and it's important to note as well that constipation can't be treated by diet. So you know, oh, wow. so so you know, you can help to prevent it, but yeah. in children, constipation needs to be treated with medication. So you know, so so it's not like you know the. It, it, you know a healthy diet obviously does help to keep the bowel healthy and bladder healthy but yeah constipation needs treatment I didn't know that I've learned something uh, already wow um, <laughs> there's two there seems to be like two big issues I know there's a lot of things we could talk about it seems to be two like main themes that I wanted to cover in the podcast the first being sort of thinking about the very youngest children in schools um, and reports of more children starting school in nappies which we know is, is a problem and how teachers are able to support these we've got less teaching assistants perhaps in classrooms how we're managing that and then the other one on sort of for more older children perhaps um is the reports of schools some schools locking toilets during lesson times and the impact on this on children so that's the two things I'd really like to cover because I know they're topical people have been chatting about mm. them um yeah. and I'd quite like to make a bit of a difference as well by talking about them because I think some of them I feel a bit quite strongly about them as sure you do as well so we do, if yeah. we start with the very youngest children in reception who are starting we're seeing more of them starting school in nappies. There was an article on the 5th of January in The Guardian by David Bell, and it was titled, Pandemic Babies Are Arriving at School Still Wearing Nappies. Where's the plan to help them? It didn't actually have loads of information in the article about um, children wearing nappies, which was surprising. But the, you know, the title was quite clickbaity and made you think, oh, wow, Nita, is this, is this an issue? Is that something you're finding? Is it true? Are there more children starting school in nappies? And um, like, why is this? Is it the pandemic? What, what's happening and what's the plan? So, yes, this is an issue that we're yeah. aware of. It's certainly a thing, um, uh, but it predates COVID. Right. This, this was on our radar for several years before. And, and you know, it was an issue that, that schools were were reporting and even in some cases having to put in additional staff to help with with those new entrants around toileting yeah and it's complex 
Um, it's not it's not one thing. It's it's a it's a confluence of different things that have come together to to sort of put this on a bit of a trajectory. Um, if you look at toilet the history of toilet training, 50, 60 years ago, you're seeing that most children were out of nappies by 18 months old. Oh wow! And that that, that figure over over time has risen to around about three, three and a half is now the average age that that most children will will be potty trained or or out of nappies. And why is this? Well, there's, like I said, there's different reasons. So um, w- one big reason is the uh, rise of uh, very good disposable nappies. These have become much better, much much cheaper, more affordable, and um, they do the job better than ever before. So children are not getting the opportunity to feel wet. Uh, so they're not getting those signals to understand. Oh, I've just, I, I've just, I don't like this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on from nappies because I don't like this sensation. So when children don't get that feeling, that they've got this lovely little mobile toilet strapped to them that doesn't need changing so often, and they can continue on in relative comfort, playing and what have you. So that I that is one. That gosh, that's a pri- I was thinking about nappies from like a parent point of view, thinking, oh, it's a convenience thing for us. Like it's great, you know, you don't have to think about toilet training because you've got these brilliant nappies that yeah. hold everything in. <laughs> you don't have to think about it. But I hadn't really thought about it from the kids' point of view. That's me being a bit naive there. But yeah, it's it, if they're not feeling that discomfort and don't feel the need to not wear a nappy because it's brilliant, then they're not they're not going to be wanting to be toilet trained, are they? They're not going to have that. That's need. right. And, you know, naturally, children often want to be independent and they want to do things on their own. But in a way, these reusable nappies yeah. have become so good that they're sort of, there's this, they're preventing, they're preventing that process from happening, I suppose, or, or delaying it. Um, and, but other factors are, are contributing to this. Uh, so, uh, over time, more parents, are, uh, you've got more households where both parents are going out to work. And so children are spending more time in childcare settings. Yeah. Um, or you've got uh, split households where children are going between do, two different sets of parents or grandparents. And that that doesn't help because potty training is something where you need consistency and routine. Yeah. If your child changing between home and um, a nursery or one parent and a, ch- a childminder, all of these different changes make it more difficult to establish that routine that you need to get through the potty training or toilet training process. Yeah. Um, so that that is another factor. Um, Eric actually did... Sorry, I was just going to say that must be hard for parents knowing that because you can't really do very much about it because a lot of the time now two parents do need to work. We do need to rely on on other people to look after young children. And it's, yeah, it's almost like being told that in the past it would have been a lot easier because of that, but you can't really do anything about that, can you? There's, no, and, and this is where it becomes difficult because then when people start to talk about these reasons, blame starts being apportioned, exactly. which is completely unhelpful because yeah. that doesn't get you any further forward and yeah. there is the blame is 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 wrong in this situation because it's just the the way life is now this yeah. is how how things work um you factor into that um we we did some market research with many nursery chains actually a couple of years before covid asking them what their we did this jointly with the ndna um, asking nurseries what their potty training policies were and what training they had available for their staff. And a huge proportion of nurseries, the majority of nurseries, did not have formal training for their staff in how to do potty training. So, And, and so a lot of staff there reported that they didn't have the confidence to support families uh, with potty training. You know, families who might, who, who might be putting it off or didn't know how to start if you know you'd be maybe thinking that the your earliest setting might be able to help you with that but if they if they're not sort of on top of it either then that you sort of that 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 doesn't help um yeah because obviously your child might be spending eight ten hours a day in in nursery yeah Um, that's really surprised me again I presumed I would have presumed you could go to them for advice and they would know way more about it than us and and would be able to to, and some do but yeah sure some do so yeah um and then I suppose Finally, one of the other big factors playing into this is the sort of the um, decimation of public uh, health visiting services and community, other community health support that families maybe in the past would have been able to reach out to and get support from. And they are just not there anymore or they've been massively reduced in many areas. So in the, you know typically it's at your child's two-year check where a health visitor might have that conversation with you around 
potty training and that two-year check might take place from 18 months onwards or, or, or around about that time. Well, if you're not having that meeting anymore because the health visitor is, there's just not enough of them in your local area to, for them to have that face-to-face -face with you. You know, we know some areas where uh, your two-year check is essentially a, a form that you get to self, you fill in yourself as a parent and you're sort of checking the boxes. That, that would have been the ideal time where you can get that additional support to, to ask the questions around how is potty training going? Have you come across any problems? You know, and to just start, you know, and particularly with your first child, you don't know what you're to look for if you're yeah. if you're if you're not an expert. I remember with my first child, I, sort of, I I missed several signs of things not as they should have been with toileting. And mm -hmm. uh, if you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> no, and that's why that lack of sort of professional support from health visitors is a real blow for families because fam, you know. Uh, you can't you can't do this on your own you need professional support and help and yeah, it's uh, not just like intuitive to know what to do is it no. and you also need somebody that you've built up a little rapport with them to be able to ask them personal questions about your children like that it's not like filling a form out is so I don't know it just doesn't seem right does it it feels like you need to have somebody that you like it should be like you should be able to go back to somebody that you spoke to before when your child was really little and you've been back for various things and you can just bring it up and chat about it yeah. Oh, that's so sad, isn't it? So for all of those reasons, that is why we've got to this position now where you do have schools reporting that more children are turning up either in nappies or just can't use the toilet independently yeah. um, and are having accidents and so then require more support with changing. And, you know, for every accident or time that they're having to be out of the classroom, they're missing out on learning and they're missing out on socialising. And, uh, you know, that's that's a real loss for the child because it's it's an important time in their life yeah. and and they want to be mucking in and getting involved and having fun in the classroom, not not sort of spending time outside of yeah. the class. So that's a real shame. Yeah. And I imagine it builds sort of a bit of anxiety and worry and stress and like lack of self-esteem and all of that. And, you know, with your peers as well, you don't want to be the one that's got have toileting issues when you're at school with, you know, peers, some children aren't very nice to each other, are they? <laughs> so, well, that's yeah, it. And true. at that age, that is when children are becoming more aware and self-conscious around their own bodies and what's going on and noticing other children as well. Yeah. So you can you can style it out a bit, I suppose, when, you, when you're sort of two and three and, it, you know, children are sort of blithely unaware of of things like that probably yeah. to a greater extent but when you get to start getting to school it, it um it, it starts to matter more yeah and so this article said what's the plan to, where's the plan to help them is there a plan like what is the government doing anything is there any plan to sort this or is this on your on your shoulders <laughs> um well <laughs> We're not aware. I don't no, think we're no. we're not aware of any targeted uh, plan around this issue. We know it's not, for example, it's not something. It's not an issue that has a nationally set target around it, right. like other issues like yeah. tooth toothbrushing or vaccinations does. So therefore, it's not prioritised in the same way. So that that would be where you'd if you if you want something to happen, you need a target in place, I suppose, yeah. for something to be measured against, and that isn't there. Yeah. No, absolutely. How can so obviously there's going to be children starting school who might not, who aren't toilet trained because they haven't been toilet trained, but there might also be some that have like a specific unidentified need around toileting. How are teachers going to recognise the difference between those sort of groups of children? Um, well, every child's development obviously is is diff different individual. Um, so the, the answer really is, is it would be very very difficult to spot that. Yeah. Um, you know, we we are very much all about starting the conversations much sooner. So um, and and you know we can talk about that a bit later. But you know. So um, working together with parents when children, you know, first offered their school place, you could be yes. saying, you know, are, are any problems with toilet training, get that idea. Um, but generally, the, the thing that you would see as, as a teacher or a classroom assistant or you know, anyone working in school um, is, is that you might see a child who's soiling. You won't know are they, you know, have they been toilet trained or is there a problem? Um, and so for us, really, you know, because constipation can cause, it can cause wee accidents, it can cause soiling. Um, and so 
it, we go back to again educating um, families and staff around spotting the signs of constipation yeah. and having those open lines of communication with each other to be able to work together um, to sort of you know resolve the problems. Yeah, I suppose it's just not having not being embarrassed to talk about it, really, is it? And to, Absolutely. Yeah, have yeah. those conversations, like you say, in transitions, like when they first make in contact between families and and the school, like making sure those conversations are being had because it is, it, yeah. yeah, it is a really important thing. Yeah, I mean, it, the key really is educating staff and parents. Um, yeah. You know, it's also going back to the constipation because it's common in potty training, but it isn't always identified until later. Um, so obviously, we were chatting before we started this podcast about the fact that we get many many calls in um, July and August of parents who call us saying my child starts school in September and they're still in nappies what do you do you know or they will only poo in their nappy um, and that's a massive issue so you know we need these conversations we need to be identifying um, you know or at least knowing where to look for the information on constipation a child can poo every day and be constipated still so you know so by helping teach and parents to identify the signs it can go a really long way towards um, supporting the child to become clean and dry so we would say open dialogue inform and educate everybody that you can um, and I do think that new parents evening I don't know if that, that still happens when yeah, my children are little yeah yeah is a great it's a great opportunity to be saying to people you know look at keep an eye on your child's bowels healthy bowels healthy bladder um and you know and also being able to say if there are problems with toilet training come and talk to us yeah and for if you're a parent and you're sat in that meeting you know like before they start school and there's a teacher at the front and they're being so open and honest about like bowels and bladders and just talking and saying you know if your child doesn't toilet train I imagine if you're sitting there worried about it, it'd be a huge weight lifted off a parent's shoulders thinking, great, well, that means I can go up to that teacher and I can say to her, no, or him, no, my child isn't toilet trained. Do you have any advice? And it sort of opens it up for you rather than thinking, oh gosh, I'm the only one. My child's the only one. I'm all by myself in this. I need to sort it out because otherwise it's all on me. I'm going to look like a bad parent. And that's what people feel because shame is, you know, that that comes across in so many of the conversations we have with families is those feelings of shame and isolation because whilst you might talk about toileting or nappies when the children are, uh, you know, tiny preschool, it's not the sort of thing you stand at the school gates and chat about. So like you say, you do start to feel like this is, it's just my child, you know, everyone else is probably, you know, they're all toilet trained and, you know, never have any accidents. But yeah, opening that conversation up, um, you know, just you know, we, we have a, a poo checker on our website and, and that's that's our key resource really to give to people. If you can't give them anything else, give them that because if they at least know what to look for, that would be the best thing to do. But yeah, just, you know, I mean, they talk about head lice in the new parents evening, don't they? Yes. And, um, you know, can they undo their, can they get themselves dressed and undressed for PE? Can they hold a knife and fork? Well, can they use a toilet, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's a bigger issue really than a lot of them, isn't it? It does need to be spoken I think about. So. Yeah. <laughs> You're very yeah. biased, obviously. <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, it does, absolutely. And so for children with special education needs and disabilities in general, um, sometimes and with stress, not always, we've said that it can be a little bit more difficult sometimes toilet training. Yeah. Um do you have any specific advice for parents and teachers of children with special education needs when toilet training? Is there anything they can do? Well, I think first of all, it's to it's to know that that many children who have additional needs can can learn to become clean and dry. I think yeah. that's that's one of the main things. Um, it can it just takes a different approach. Um, it might take slightly longer, but it, but you know it, you can get there. And we've got a lot of resources on our website to help. So there's. Um, uh, I think, well, I'll, I'll come up to it later, but we do have some sort of assessment forms that we can complete. But it is it's good to know that they that they can, that that you know, if you're if you know, you know, if your child already has some sensory um needs or any kind of differences in their sensory awareness, then you know that that might affect the toileting. Yeah. So it's knowing, it's knowing what to look out for. And again, it's that communication between home and school and not being afraid to say, you know, my child's got a problem. It is so embarrassing. You know, we're, you know, we're not all used to just talking about poo. No. It's for us in our job, 
obviously I can say it and not talk about it to anybody um but you know I do realize that it's not a comfortable subject for many people so I think it's just making it easier to have those conversations and and the other thing I would say is you know we have an additional needs section on our website um we do offer webinars um we've got an additional needs webinar coming up soon for toileting children with additional needs um we have um an intimate healthcare plan which i think could be can be really good resource for parents and staff school staff to use to open up the conversation to talk about the individual child's needs yeah. um and how they're going to work together with that Brilliant. That sounds really useful. You sound like you've got all bases covered on your website. And you know, it's about not people aren't used to talking about poo. It, I'm. It's ridiculous, but I'm very aware that we're saying these words a lot more than I say in, in normal days. Yeah. Podcast. And I know yeah. this podcast is about this topic. I've written the questions. I've done some research on it. So it's yeah. true. Even I'm. I'm finding which I shouldn't. I feel embarrassed that I'm finding it strange talking about it. But I am. No, I did when I started my job. Yeah. I, I totally get that. Yeah, I, I was like, how am I going to how am I going to say this word? Yeah, because we don't. But you know, maybe that's the key. You know, maybe if we were more open about yeah. you know just talking about it, then there would you know that just reduces the shame and the isolation and you know. Yeah. So I think it makes a big difference. Yeah, because kids talk about it quite a lot. You know, little kids talk about who and we quite a lot don't they they like to say the words yeah. but we often tell them to stop talking about them <laughs> it's like forbidden you can't talk they about love it anymore. yeah they, they love, love talking about it we should be more more like four-year-olds <laughs> we should if you you know we have we've got so many books on our website you know all about poo and about children talking about poo and you know because and, and I suppose the purpose of that is to normalize it for children yeah. Because we are so restrained ourselves in in saying those words, yeah. and yet when we when we come to a child who's got a wee or a poo problem, we know we need to have the conversations with them and make them more comfortable. Especially, say, you know, child with additional needs who might have a lot of anxiety around toileting, or they might be scared of their poo. Yeah. Well, that's a time when we need to be, you know, looking at looking at poo, looking at books. I know it sounds weird, but yeah you have to normalize yeah. it yeah and if we're all being very British and like oh no I can't talk about poo then that's not going to help yeah. the child open up about talk I'm saying the word really. like, talking about poo are they if, if yeah. we're not doing it as well yeah that's, that's, yeah really really good point um, I've lost my train of thought but I was going to ask um how we, how are you going to how will staff notice if a child is ready so if they've got a child who's started reception who isn't ready they might have special education needs they're not actually ready to use the toilet and then they start to become ready to use the toilet what are they yeah. what especially maybe if they've got like communication difficulties they're not able to communicate their needs what sort yeah. of signs are they looking out for because I remember being told the signs for you know your little ones when they're really when they're toddlers but is it yeah. different for older children are we looking for the same things what um, it, it is so, some are the same but there is a there's a lot of differences um and we we do have um what's something called a toilet readiness assessment on our website okay. so so really we're looking for intervals between um wees would be about an hour and a half you know yeah. that's when you because and that's the same with with you know potty training you yeah. know if they can if they can go an hour hour and a half between wees then you start be thinking starting to think okay yeah maybe yeah um with their bowels then and obviously schools might find this very difficult to know because you don't know when a child's going to poo but you know they'd ideally be going between three times a day and four times a week that's to make sure they're not constipated yeah um you know can they sit safety safely and comfortably on the toilet or a potty for yeah. at least a minute you know, can they sit up with themselves and are they showing any awareness of their full bladder and bowels um can they communicate can they communicate their you know the feeling um <laughs> And can they help to pull the pants up or down? Can they wash yeah. and dry their hands? And can they respond to commands? So, you know, there's lots of different things. That's all on our toilet readiness assessment. Um, and they, you know, and, and parents can fill out um, a bladder and bowel assessment charts, just looking at how often they are weeing, how often they're pooing, just to kind of see where they are with that. Yeah. And obviously we do have to think about um, interception. So, yeah. which I'm sure is a topic that your your listeners are all very familiar with. Yeah. But you know that that recognition of the body's internal signals. You know, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I need a wee. I need a poo. Yeah. You know, recognizing those signs for some children that 
feeling is overwhelming and it can cause distress yeah um, so it's not just about them not feeling it it's because sometimes learning to feel it more yeah. than ever yeah looking for them having more exaggerated responses to it in a sense more sort of um maybe feeling the behavior might change them feeling upset or distressed or that side of things could be signs yeah. that you might not yeah. expect to be linked to those but if they're feeling those feeling feeling those feelings bigger then yeah it might yeah be it could it could be that and obviously I think you know what what you might start to see is if a child starts to be aware that they might need a pay then they might be just dis- you know, there might be discomfort, they might be wriggling, you know, they might be, if, if they're mobile, they might be trying to squat down or trying to cross their legs, various things to try and stop poo coming out, uh-huh. um, you know, because obviously that's the thing. Um, and I think, you know, one thing I would say is that, um, and this is a message that I, I personally would love to get across to all um, education settings, is that the bowel squeezes most strongly 20 to 30 minutes after eating. So I've worked in primary school for many, many years, and I know that we used to send all the children to the toilet to wash their hands before lunch. Then they would have their lunch. They would go and have a run around, and then they would line up to come back into the classroom. And then without fail, they'd all be putting their hands up in the afternoon saying, I need the toilet. Um, But if we bear in mind that the bowel squeezes most strongly 20 to 30 minutes after eating, that is our prime toileting time. Yeah. Also, going back to what I said right at the beginning about mobility, helping the bowel to squeeze. So you've had your lunch, you've gone and had a run around in the playground. What happens next? You probably need a poo, but actually, no, should have gone before lunch. Oh. So, you know, so there really is this thing. And that's another thing that, you know, that, that people could be looking out for is that sign yeah gosh yeah I'm learning so much I'm like literally like, oh, I didn't know this this is brilliant yeah really really useful <laughs> what so one of the problems I think a lot of reception teachers might be having is they've got perhaps less teaching assistants now than previously because of mm. funding um and if they've got more children who require some additional support with toileting what what do they do with limiting staffing like how do they actually manage this because that must be a really a worrying thing because you know if you've got a class of 30 and you maybe don't even have a teaching assistant some days what do you Mm. do if if you've got a child that needs some extra help yeah we do we do realize this and we you know and and a lot of people do talk to us about this on helpline um Mm. and we know it's difficult you know for teaching staff if you don't have additional support so i think communication with parents and carers is key yeah completing an intimate healthcare plan we've got templates and um, examples on our website um you know having that maybe a communication book supporting parents and carers to identify and treat constipation because you know if a lot of soiling accidents are happening because of constipation then if you you know if we're if we're you know getting that message out there and trying to support them to kind of treat that that would hopefully reduce the accidents in the classroom um getting them to the toilet at the right time Again, I know that's tricky. It's not down to the teachers as it's the school's policy. But I think encouraging drinking regularly as well. Yeah. Promote healthy bladders and bowels. So a lot of this is trying to prevent problems so that it makes life easier for the staff. That's really, you know, what what we can do. But again, that communication and and having a healthcare plan in place is really good. Yeah, that must be really hard for the teachers as well. If you think, it feels always counterintuitive, but you're right, but like to say they need to be drinking more, but you'd be thinking, well, if I'm always spending time with these children going to the toilet, I don't want them to have all their drinks accessible all the time because we're having so many problems with them going to the toilet all the time. But actually that's helping, isn't it? They need to be hydrated and they need to be lots. They do, because what what happens is um, children will probably have a drink before school and then they sip a little bit through the day. But if they haven't got their drinks on the desk, they probably forget about it, you know, because they often do. And then when they get home from school, they might have a big drink. But actually what happens is that the bladder is like a balloon and it needs to stretch and needs, it's a muscle. It's all muscles. So it needs to expand. And if you're putting loads in it and then nothing for hours and hours and hours and then loads again, you know, that's not encouraging it to be healthy. There could be wetting accidents that happen. Strong wee irritates the bladder. Yeah. So, you know, again, so yeah, it, it does sound counterintuitive. I completely agree. Yeah. But 
if we can exercise those bladders and teach them to hold more, then, you know, ultimately the child can probably hold their wee for longer in the long run. So in the long run, it's, yeah, it's worth, worth doing. So if schools wanting to develop a SEND SEND friendly toileting policy and potty training, do you have any advice or resources for that? Um, So we would recommend looking at your existing toileting policy mm-hmm. um, and just looking out, you know, what, what are the expectations, what support can be offered. Yeah. Um, the schools need to make sure that their toilets are child friendly. Um, we would highly recommend letting parents take a tour of the toilets, yeah. um, showing the children, telling the children how to get to the toilet, when they can go, those kind of things and what rules there are around them. Um, recognizing the needs of the children that attend that school Um, and children need to feel able to ask to use the toilet Um, some are too embarrassed to put their hand up so there are things like having a you know I need to go card or a signal so you know some child a child might go and put a magnet in the corner of the whiteboard and that's their signal that they need to go to the toilet or a card in front of them on the table so things like that making it really easy for even the most embarrassed child or one who doesn't have the the means of communication to say I need to you know to, to show a way to go so it's all about that really and you know good practice send the children to the toilet after lunch um but we do have as I said the toileting children with additional needs section on our website so I think it's you know really good to look at that when looking at policies um and we do have a nurseries and schools and colleges section on our website as well so there's there's a lot of guidance on there for schools when writing their policies Fabulous. And that links us quite nicely to the second big issue I wanted to talk about, which I think has been all over social media recently about toilet locking. Um, there's been reports of schools locking toilets during lesson time, um, sometimes even breaks, which I was confused about. I don't know. I didn't really understand that bit because I was thinking, well, when do the children go? But anyway, mainly during lesson times. Is this something you've heard about? It's not just a thing on social media that's blown out of proportion. Yes, this is sadly something that we have had lots of families come to us um, about and tell us of various different ways that this is being deployed in secondary schools. Yes. It's not not usually primary schools. Um, And it's and and the consequences then that has on children. So so schools are employing this uh, practice to tackle one problem, which is kind of behaviour, poor behaviour. Because they, I mean that's a perennial problem. Young people and school toilets—that's yeah. that's as a problem as old as time uh, of the sort of the, the behaviour that gets gets up children get up to in school toilets. Um, yeah. It just kind of time wasting through to sort of full on bullying and, and yeah. that kind of thing, which makes toilets then an unpleasant people for an unpleasant place for everybody else to visit. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but the problem with that kind of policy is. Um, it creates problems for for children for children that need to use the toilet and and that's in a couple of ways because first of all it's practically the issues that it creates is that it's often a, a member of staff's job to go around and doing this locking and unlocking and we've heard from some families that sometimes that person doesn't get to the toilets on time to unlock them at break or lunch and so therefore oh, they are locked during lesson and then partially locked during some of the playtime break time as well so um, you've got this long queue of children needing to go to the toilet, waiting behind a locked door. Um, so that creates, that's one problem that's sort of practically created. But but bigger than that is it, it establishes a battleground, I suppose, between the staff and the student body, because it is almost like a barricade is being put, a physical block is being put up between um the school the the sort of the corridors in the classroom and the toilet space and that kind of then gets you into the mindset well it is about this is this is a battleground Mm -hmm. and so then it becomes a very polarized subject and 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 people would get very um naturally kind of very upset about that so for those for those two reasons it 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 doesn't it doesn't solve the problem no so it and does, you know, so, it makes it difficult for all children, but specifically, then it makes it more difficult for children who've got a underlying medical condition or a need to go during lesson times because it is then a right palaver because they have to go and find. Even if they get permission to go, they then have to go and find the person with the key to go and unlock it. And so, 
what could have been a quick five minute um, absence from the classroom becomes a 10, 15 minute absence because they're off on a hunt to find the key holder. Um, so yeah. it's not yeah. right, is it? And I'm just thinking like a child, <laughs> they're not children then, are they? They're teenagers. And if, you know, a teenager in secondary school who's got some sort of additional need or med- toileting need that means that they need to be going to the toilet more frequently or whatever, surely they've got the right to privacy for their medical needs as well. Like it, it doesn't feel right that they have, everyone will be aware that they've got needs if they need to be going to ask for a toilet key to go to the, or they've got a toilet pass, then people are aware of, of their medical needs, which seems wrong. Yeah, I, exactly that. Um, it is a balance, of course, because yeah. teachers will, will know that there will be some students that want to leave the classroom more frequently yeah. than, than probably they need to. Um, and so they have to apply judgment on that. Um, and, you know, actually, when children do need to go to the toilet more frequently, that's often because they have it's a medical condition they have. Yeah. And it's a medical condition in the same way that other people have asthma or eczema or a broken leg. Uh, it's you know, it's nothing. It shouldn't be something to be ashamed of. Yeah. And so that we we. You, we don't want to kind of encourage this environment where nipping off to the toilet because there's a problem with it is a shameful thing and you don't yeah. need anybody to know about it. Um, when when people are students at secondary school, they and if with a medical condition, with a bowel or bladder condition, they they do need to be brave and make their life will be easier if they have a trusted adult at that school that they can tell and explain yes. and talk to. And if they have a group of friends that they feel that they can share that information with, it will help them to have that conversation because and to explain, look, this this is what I have. This is a part of me. This is why I go to the toilet more often or need a bigger toilet to go to because maybe I have equipment that I need to use or to to have changes. Um, And those conversations will help to take the stigma out of of that and and other children can be wonderfully accepting yeah um of that when you when people say things um but it and i but i completely understand why there is a risk around that because people can often be cruel and not understanding as well yeah so so i presume eric's view of locking toilets is you're not in favor of the locking of toilets <laughs> what, no. what is your viewpoint then um well, this this is this topic usually comes up. It's it's in secondary schools where it's more of a problem, yeah. Because I think staff in primary schools have more flexibility to yeah. um, to uh, and younger children, and there's more acceptance of of, of frequent toilet visits, etc. So we're talking about secondary schools here, and denying access to toilets during lesson time. No, we don't recommend it because it creates. Yes, it's trying to solve one problem, but it creates another. So what do you do about that is the is the really hard nut mm. to crack. There is no law that says schools cannot close toilets or lock them. Mm. There is very little legislation uh, governing access to or provision of toileting facilities in schools for students. So uh, there's, there, there are very few levers to pull on to, to make schools do th- do things you know it's on a school by school basis and that that is uh from one trust to another or if it's a local authority school it will be down to that staff and management to to implement a policy so that's where it becomes difficult to say this is what you should do because all schools are different and annoyingly for us you know we we hear all the bad stories eric uh, uh quite naturally so um we hear we hear fewer good stories yeah. but there must be some schools out there getting it right yeah, um, and um and there are uh, we hear from uh, some parents of teachers that have come up with ingenious things specifically usually with primary school children but yeah. you know it it can be done um uh 
Sorry, that's my train. Of no, it's, a, it's, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? I, I taught in secondary. So, you know, I've been there. I get what it's like from the teacher's point of view. If you, you get a lot of teenagers saying they need to go to the toilet and some of them don't need to go. It's, you, you can see which ones, you know, they might have asked a few times and you know that they're wanting to go and meet somebody and you can see how it happens. But then the, there are going to be children in there that you could miss that might need to go to the toilet for reasons. It is hard and it is hard to work out how to not let it disrupt your lesson, but also let children use the toilet at the right times. And it, so I, I completely get it from the teacher's point of view that it's easy for us to say you shouldn't do it, but it's a tricky balancing act. But from a parent point of view, like if your child needs to go to the toilet and you're hearing that the toilets are being locked at, at play, t- at um, yeah, during lesson time, that's that's huge and that's horrible, mm. and you must really feel for the children that do need to use the toilets and they can't. And 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 though it though it shouldn't have to happen, there are things that that students can do and parents can do so that you know your school might have a, stu- a student council yeah. that might be a route in to have a discussion whereby you come up with a um a toilet use policy that the staff and te- uh, student body and teachers agree you know like a code of conduct as it yeah. were that everybody agrees to sign up to and respect and that's a like a, a contract almost between between um the staff and the students you you as a parent you might try and find a champion for this on your uh, board of governors there might be a parent um governor or or any of the other governors that that you could approach um to kind of raise this issue and and sort of highlight what problems this is creating yeah um, and see what solutions that you can come up with yeah um there you know there are some practical limitations though because for example there are no national guidelines on how many toilets a school has to have per pupil oh wow there's, there's rough gu- there's some guidelines but they're not enforceable wow and it's not statutory so you know if schools do not have enough cubicles you're just going to get those queues at a break time and so then ch- students choose not to go and then they need to go in cl- in past time so you know if 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 for a lot of schools just having more cubicles would solve a lot of these problems because you wouldn't be queuing hanging around waiting to go at the time when you know you can go yeah Uh, but that's expensive I was just going to say easier said than done we know what school budgets are like at the moment that's a tricky (laughs) one is there anything that schools I haven't put this is one of my questions I was going to ask you but are there any schools that you know of that have got it right that have managed to get the balance right and what what do they so I'm just thinking if somebody's listening and they think right we do lock our toilets at school at during lesson times um, but we wish we didn't have to. It, what sh- is there any way? What can they do? Like, it, what's the best practice? Is there a really? Is there a school that's doing it right that we're aware of that have got a really good way around this? Or is this just a problem that we're going to go around in circles with and no one's going to solve? Unfortunately, I, we we don't have an example of a yeah. best practice school that's doing this. Yeah. Please, if anybody's listening out there and would like to get in touch to show off what they're doing, we would love to hear from you. Yeah, that would be really interesting, actually. But yeah, please, and if you want to get in touch via me or via, and I'll pass the message on, that would be really, I'd be really interested to know how schools are getting it right. Because like you say, there will be schools who yeah. have got the balance correct and are managing to meet the needs of all students and stop the behaviour and the bullying in, in toilets at playtimes um, during lesson times and stop disruption during lessons, but also meet the needs of children that do need to go to the toilet during lessons. So yeah, it'd be really interesting to know how they've managed to do it. <laughs> Oh, I yeah. would say actually this this is something for the future, but we we have a group of young champions um, okay. that um, that give their time to help us at Eric, and they're mm-hmm. running a survey at the moment, a nationwide survey, uh, focused a lot on school toilets. Which they're so it's a group of twelve to eighteen year olds, and they're circulating this amongst their peer groups, and it's been links have been sent out to schools across across the UK to try and get as many responses as possible, and that is asking questions about. Uh, from young people of their experiences of using toilets at school access the quality of the provision etc so that doesn't that's running for another month yet but we're hoping to get some good information um from from young people themselves because they 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 see it best (laughs) they'll they'll, they'll, they won't hold back no absolutely not no that's brilliant that sounds great um and last one before I ask you about links and how we get to your website and stuff. Using the toilets can be overwhelming for a lot of children. They can be too busy, scary. Some kids don't like to go to the toilet because they're sort of they're not very clean. They're not they're a bit smelly. They it's overwhelming there. The lights are bright. It's too noisy. There's too many people there. I could keep going on. <laughs> um, what do we do to keep these children feeling safe in the toilets and they're not feeling afraid to go? Um, 
Well, following this, following on from the last subject, that's maybe my answer isn't going to be the best one, but um, for a lot of children, it would be choosing quieter times to go to the toilet. Yeah. So going back to, you know, a plan, having a plan where between the, the school and the family um, to make sure that they can go. For younger children, um, they might like to have their own toilet time bag. So perhaps a drawstring bag that's got a few things that are comforting for them um, so that they can get that. So... The key to um, being able to wee or poo properly is to be relaxed. So obviously a smelly toilet, one where there's gaps above and below the door or the door doesn't lock or, you know, all these different things are not conducive to relaxing to be able to properly wee and poo. So again, you could end up with accidents. So, you know, a lot of children at home might have um, a toilet time bag. So, you know, books, toys, games, or something comforting, their own toilet seat in a bag that they can put on the toilet. Um, if there are children with really particular anxieties or extreme anxiety, then, you know, speak to the staff about um, maybe being have, having access to the disabled toilet. Yes. So that, that's, you know, so there's more privacy that way. Um, and actually being able, again, knowing when they can go, knowing how to get there, um, you know, knowing how to ask and all these things, but it's so important that we help children and young people to relax. Um, and uh, but again, it's it's teaching children respect as well of each other because you know, saying things like, Oh, you've just had a really smelly poo is gonna make that child go, Well, I'm not gonna do that at school again, oh. and I'm gonna hold on. And you know, so there's there's a lot of different things there, but yeah. But we've got a terrific video on our website, actually, on our school toilets page um, with a parent who is recounting her experience of how she worked with her uh, child's reception and then year one teacher, you know, to, to kind of ease the path, the ease the sort of transition, I suppose, between home and school, because what was working at home was working, but to try and take elements of, of what worked at home and introduce that into the classroom environment and and to kind of help create that consistency. Um, that, uh, it's, it's very it's chock full of tips. It's a brilliant oh, little brilliant. video. It's 10 minutes long. And, you know, it's a parent's experience okay. uh, of how they've worked with um, a very uh, accommodating teacher. But between yeah. them, they've come up with some very inventive ways to, to, to make it easier. And then when the toileting becomes easier, suddenly other things become easier too. Yeah. The stresses start to drop away, so it, it's 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 it, it solves more problems than just the toileting. If you see what I mean, it's yeah, absolutely, and probably more problems than people realise as well. Like, it, yeah. It brilliant so links we've spoken about quite a few I will put links in the show notes below so if you're listening to the podcast um on your app on your phone or on the computer if you scroll down you'll be able to see some of these links that we're going to put on there and if you're watching on YouTube they'll be just down here will be the links what links am I putting on there then presumably you want the one to your website yep yep the website the helpline yep brilliant I'll put the number for the helpline put the website on there um and that'll be absolutely I think a link to the individual healthcare plan template would be a great one this is this is the template where parents uh, families and school staff can work together to identify what issues are and agree support mechanisms that can happen at the school and that may or may not be done with along with a school nurse if there is one as well so that's uh, that's a useful one to look out for Oh, thank you both so much I've learned I've learned loads I've you know when you've learned loads of information your head feels a bit <laughs> like that. So thank you so much it's been really really helpful it's been good to talk about um a taboo tab subject that shouldn't be taboo at all um I've never said the word poo so many times in an hour um, but I really hope this is helpful and I feel like we've covered some really important issues so thank you so much for your time thank you very welcome they were fantastic guests, weren't they? I'm really pleased we're able to cover this topic. We've got loads of resources on our website, so have a look at those in the show notes, as well as the links that I've mentioned to Eric's website and their resources as well to help with this. Thanks again for listening to Sending the Experts with me, Georgina Durrant. Make sure you subscribe. Thank you.